They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Decentralized Revolution, a podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. I'm Aaron, I'm your host. I thought we'd have someone on to talk about the just completed Libertarian National Convention uh, which was last weekend, and uh, no one better than Michael Heiss. How are you, Mike? I'm good, Aaron. It's good to be here. It was good seeing you there. It was good seeing you in, in real life. Yeah, it, that that was one of the biggest things. Um, to I, I got to meet you and a few other people at the Dave Smith Nick Sarwark debate. I think last September, but that was only for basically an evening. Um, and then uh, this time, you get to hang out for a few days, get to meet people that we've been working with online for the last year. In your case. A, two years plus, I think. Um, and I think that's crucial in kind of trying to help build the culture that we're trying to build in the caucus and by extension in the rest of the party. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, uh, I think the, the, the culture thing is, is probably the biggest takeaway of the convention, at least for me personally, uh, because I, I, I gotta be honest with you and, and all the folks, when I was on the plane to go down to Orlando, I was not feeling it. I was not feeling good about this, this, uh, the second in-person sitting. I had a bad feeling in my stomach. I thought we were going to get screwed. Uh, I, I thought the, the online portion was going to run out of control. Um, I didn't trust the member of staff who was running it. Uh, and I just had a lot of reasons of why I didn't feel like it was good. And I was worried about, oh my God, all this stuff's going to happen. We're going to take a step back on the board and in terms of our representation and, and, you know, how am I going to sell hope to everybody with all this crap going on? And, and I wasn't feeling it. Uh, and, and, but that changed real fast that, that, I mean, it went from that to now that I'm out of it and during it, I mean, I just feel absolutely fantastic and I'm, I'm so happy with the result. Um, and like I said, the culture is a big thing. I mean, where it really became apparent to me, and unfortunately you, you weren't there at this point, but um, on Thursday night, we had a, a party there. Uh, we, we had a party with karaoke and Maj Touré came and, and spoke. And, uh, you know, we, we had some of uh, the organizers like Miguel speak uh, and uh, Jessica Sentman and, and a few others. And they spoke. We presented an award for Scott Horton. Scott Horton won our uh, Human Action Award for the year. Um, and but what, what stuck out to me, because even then, you know, when I got there, the venue had changed just within the last week prior to the convention. Right. And all the notes from the party that we were going to throw from one venue to the, the other were not transferred. So I was like quarterbacking this thing with somebody working from the hotel from scratch. And I was working all day and I was just like, man, no one's going to show up. Um, 
And I, I used a, a, a list to text all of the delegates, the all 1,400 delegates and alternates once to let them know that it was happening. And uh, right at around the same time as our party started, the, the, part, the Libertarian Party itself had its wel- welcoming ceremony right across the hall. So then I was like, people are going to go there. That ends at 8.30. We're not, probably not going to have anybody till 8.30. And again, I was wrong. I was very wrong. I mean, we, yep. we had about twice the amount of people in our party than the, the, the party itself did had for their welcoming ceremony. And they had food. They had some finger foods. They had like fruit and stuff like that. We didn't have any of that. We just had way better music. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so, you know, that, that made me feel good. There was a lot of energy there, a lot of enthusiasm, people singing karaoke. And, and that's when I knew, okay, this isn't going to, this isn't going to be this awful thing that I thought it might be when I was on my way down. Yeah, it, that was Wednesday night, the the bash, and I got there Thursday night right before the chair oh, yeah, debate. Um, and uh, yeah, I was really happy to to see that and to hear some of the stories uh, about that. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a, a positive overall. I, I was also really um, encouraged by the response we got and by the the people who were there. Um, in, in some tough circumstances, of course, this was supposed to happen in uh, Austin in May, Memorial Day weekend. Then it uh, was moved to Shingle Creek, a, a resort hotel in, in Orlando. And then like literally just a few days before it got moved to another property within that same hotel group. And hanging over all that was the was this question of uh, online participation. Um, and I, I wasn't there, I think, Wednesday and Thursday when some of the stuff on the floor was done to decide how how that was going to go. So why don't you explain the situation and and walk us through the decisions we made as a caucus and and, and what we what we ended up with and and what worked about it and what didn't. So what I like to compare it to is the the what what was kind of going on on the ground was kind of like the scene in the dark night where uh, there's the two boats with the, you know, one with the, the normal people and one with the inmates and they both have like detonators for each other. And the Joker is trying to prove that like, you know, the world is a Hobbesian nightmare and when the chips are down, somebody will blow each other up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and all that kind of thing. It was kind of, that first day was kind of like that because what the situation was, was the LNC had, uh, unilaterally and, and according to our bylaws illegally, uh, gave permission for people to participate online without any input from the delegates whatsoever. They just did it. And this is a big part of why I had a bad feeling going, going down. Um, so they completely usurped the, the right of the delegation in person to, to grant that authority. And that created a, a problem because one, it hurt the attendance. Um, there was about 450 people total that attended the, the online convention. And I think we were on, on pace to have at least 500, 600 uh, that were there. So I think some people got comfortable with the idea of like, okay, well, there's going to be online participation and drop that anyway. But it also created a situation that has been a black mark on the whole thing of if we don't follow the bylaws, we're opening ourselves up to lawsuits to be sued and for the candidates to be knocked off the ballot. So there was a bunch of people who were online who felt that they had every right to be online already because, well, the LNC said we could do it. Whereas there was a whole bunch of people, I would say the most people who were in person who, while they wanted to allow online, it's not okay for the LNC to just usurp the, uh, that decision making from the delegation. And so we wanted it to be done right so that we weren't sued. 
Well, in order for it to be done right, that meant that there would have to be a temporary window where the online delegate, the delegates essentially weren't actually seen as delegates. And they were very afraid of that. They thought that, you know, everybody started this big rumor, oh, the Mises Caucus is just going to try to come and, and stop online participation no matter what. Completely false. And it was proven the whole time, you know, because it was an overwhelming amount of support for online. So we basically wasted the entire first day fighting about how we're going to handle online and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, I mean, to, to the point where I'll give Alex, I give Alex Merced a lot of credit for how he handled the convention. But on the first day, I feel like he, he didn't know how to navigate these waters. He didn't have the, well, I'm going to say the killer instinct to basically just tell the online people to shut up, essentially. That's, and that's kind of what needed to happen. And it's kind of what Omar, who was from Florida, who ended up, he handed the gavel to, did. He just basically just said, look, you're wrong. You're not delegates. It's okay. We're going to make you delegates. Just trust us. And, and we have to do this right so we avoid problems. And that's ultimately what happened. It took a whole day to do it. Right. <laughs> but but that's ultimately what happened. We proved that you know we proved the Joker wrong. It's not it's not a Hobbesian world any after all. You know, and the Mises Caucus isn't just a bunch of destroyers. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the thing is we want to work with the other caucuses, especially like the Radical Caucus that we have a lot in common with, and we don't want to poison these relationships, and we want to attract more people to our caucus uh, from all parts of our party. So you know we've got an incentive. Uh, to cooperate because because that's what we that's the type of party we want and just to go back one second about uh some people who aren't as familiar with all the ballot access stuff that uh that has to happen in some states when you talk about the lp getting sued or our candidates getting sued and taken off the ballot that's that would be republicans or democrats filing suit to say look the libertarian party did not follow their bylaws and nominating these two candidates and therefore it's an invalid petition. Uh, it's it, it, they don't meet our requirements because in all those laws, there's a, there's a clause that basically says that that gives that gives them that, that out. Um, so it was very important that we close that loophole um, because otherwise I think we definitely would have gotten sued and we still might, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's what dominated the whole first day. And I would say after that, after that, I mean, there was a lot of tension around that. But after that, everything started going way more smoothly, yep. you know, and, and I like to think it's because, you know, the, the, the in-person people kind of established, like, we're not what you're making us out to be. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 it was cool, man, because the, the Mises caucus dominated the in-person convention. I mean, let's just be frank. We were more than half of the people that were there. Um, so I think that shows that we are, that we, we are dedicated, you know, and, and, and we are hardcore. And I mean, cause you know, some of these people who, who were pushing the online thing, were using some very extreme language of, Oh, it's a death trap and, and all this stuff. Well, apparently Mises people are willing to brave a death trap to come to our convention then. And that's, right. that's pretty serious, you know, like, and <laughs> not that I, I agree with that language, but I'm just making a point. Um, and the energy was just electric, you know what I mean? Like, and, and apparently we kept getting reports and texts and stuff from people who were online who were telling us that that energy was coming through loud and clear on the, on the live stream. You know, uh, we, we showed out in force for, for the debate between the chairs um, and really showed up for Josh. 
uh, and, and there was just a lot of energy, a lot of noise, uh, and, and really just livened up the whole thing. And I, w- I would say that we, you know, we are responsible for that. And then when we weren't uh, in business, you know, we were going to Airbnbs and throwing parties there and we were we were meeting up for dinner and and it was just a big family. And, and it was night. You know, we were talking about the culture a little bit ago. I would say it's it was night and day between the culture within the Mises caucus versus the party at large and, and, and the, you know, the online stuff and all that stuff. And, and it, it's a lesson that's been learned twice, you know, both in the 2018 convention and the 2020 convention of just how much the, the online climate is not an accurate reflection of reality. It's just not. And we forget that sometimes. And it's really important that we don't forget that. Right. Uh, and one of the, one of the reasons that uh, I was willing to crawl across cut glass to get down there was uh, our support for Joshua Smith for chair, uh, especially coming off the last, what, six years of, of Nick Sarwark and seeing the work that uh, that Joshua has put in. Um, I was, I was pretty disappointed. I know we all were when, when he didn't win. So talk about how much, how many votes he got and, uh, why that, you know, the drawbacks of what happened as well as maybe some of the, the bright spots. I I forget the raw numbers, but it was, it was basically 60, 40. I mean, it was, well, or even less than that because it it was like 55, 40 or something like that with like 5% going to NODA and other candidates or write-ins or whatever. Right. Um, so it was very competitive and, and we had a good feeling going into it, but yes, we, we were disappointed that he, that he didn't win, but at the same time we did get him back on as an at large pretty easily. Um, and, and not only that, but we double, here's, here's what I think people need to have perspective on this, this caucus and this effort is less than three years old. I started the group in September of 2017. Okay. And, and so we went from zero to in 2018, we were about one fifth of the delegation. Josh got like, I think 23% or something like that. So we went from zero to one fifth to one third. Right. So like Josh's Josh, so there, there was a first ballot where there was multiple candidates. Uh, there's, you know, Josh, there was, uh, uh, Jacob Lamont, there was Tony DeRazio and, and there was Joe, uh, Bishop Henchman. And on that one, Josh got 33% uh, of the vote. That to me is probably indicates what is the closest number for the raw Mises support, right? So, um, so I would say, yeah, we're a third of the delegation. I mean, that's that's important. That means so any vote that requires two thirds, we now can stop if we really want to. And if the trend holds, we're very much so on our way of having at least a bare majority going into twenty twenty. Um, and that's the I, I think that's the real thing that we should we should ha- like think about not, Oh man, Josh lost. The fact of the matter is, is that we won so much more this time than we did in 2018. And yet from 2018 to here, we grew, there wasn't all this, there wasn't a lot of sadness. There wasn't d- being down in the dumps. There wasn't giving up and there isn't going to be now. And, and again, it speaks to the culture. So that night that, that Josh lost and keep in mind at that. So at that point in time, we didn't know that we were going to get any more wins. That was the only officer race that night. So we, the rest of the business had to be blasted through the next day. We didn't know what was going to happen. So what do we do? We went to an Airbnb where our Washington crew was set up, and we threw a rager. There was like 65, 70 people there. It went all night. Nobody there was sad. 
Nobody there was down in the dumps. Everyone had a freaking great time and was and was happy to see each other and happy to be in each other's company and and and, and like around like-minded people. Excuse me. And um and that energized us for the next day where we did get a whole bunch of wins. Yeah. So that's I think the really important thing. Now on on the topic of the winner of the the race, Joe Bishop Henchman. Yeah. I I do think that he's going to be better than Nick. I do. Um, I've, I've had some people disagree with me on that, but they're, they're coming from a different perspective than I am. I think he's, look, do I think the, 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 the general vision of the party and the general direction of the party is going to change? Not, not meaningfully, no. But I do think he's going to be better in that I don't think he's going to go around, go around starting fires. I don't think he's going to go around calling Ron Paul a Russian. I don't think he's going to call Ron or uh, Tom Woods a neo-confederate. I don't think he's going to do all of these things of, of, of starting fires in what ought to be the biggest recruiting pools in the party. And they're already the biggest recruiting pools in the party, despite the fires that Nick started. Right. So, so we won't have the chair working against us. I, I think he's a lot more reserved um, and, and kind of won't be front and center as much. Um, so I think that in and of itself is, is an upgrade. Um, now elsewhere, we got a lot of victories. Yeah. We, we got Josh Smith back, uh, on as at large, there's two people that the establishment within the party absolutely did not want back on the, or did not want on the LNC that we got on the LNC that we pushed over top. And that's Ken Molman as the vice chair and Karen Ann Harlow's. Why didn't the, the, the reason that the establishment, the party didn't want them on there is because they stood strong by the bylaws. They stood strong by doing things properly. They stood strong by upholding the legitimate in-person convention. And that really pissed a lot of, well, uh, uh, the, the establishment off in the party. Right. So the fact that we could, and, and this is this is a pattern now, you know, Spike, getting Spike as the vice president was kind of a smack in the face of the, uh, the, the establishment of the party. And he's been awesome. He's been absolutely fantastic. Yep. We've done it again now with, with them. With, with getting Karen Ann back as secretary and, and Ken Molman as vice chair. Um, we got, we helped put uh, Eric Rodset over the top. And, and, you know, I've had several conversations with him. He is a prag, but the way I see it, there's kind of multiple types of prags. There are certain prags like, like, uh, well, Valerie Sarwark, who won, who hate our guts. Um, they will never, they will never be reasonable with us. Um, they'll never be honest about us. And, uh, and that's unfortunate, but there are prags that are not like that. They have a different strategic vision for the party and they might not agree with us with everything and that's fine, but they're reasonable, honest people. And that's really what's most important is being a good person. <laughs> so, um, so Rod Sepp is one of those guys. He's on there now, Dustin Nana, you know, he, he was being run against by Jared Hall, who was pretty popular in Indiana and, and had a good shot at winning that. Uh, Dustin Nana won that spot. He's another one of these, what I would call honest people <laughs> who happen right. to be prags. Yeah. Dustin's um, a good guy. And that was for the region three rep. Yeah. So, so we got all of that. And then the crazy thing is we got six out of seven of the judicial committee people that we wanted on there. Right. Six out of seven. And explain what the judicial committee does and why that's important. Well, the judicial, yeah, the judicial committee is basically the Supreme court of the libertarian party. So if, if you think that the, the chair or whoever is, is breaking the rules, you can take that up with the Judicial Committee. We haven't had a Judicial Committee, period, in two years. It was, it was still on the table uh, for business in 2018 when, when we gaveled out. So it was never, 
It was never actually made. There was some kind of put together de facto JC, but it never got used. And and we really could have used a, a judicial committee yeah. with everything that was going on. And I think I think that some of the people who were involved in some of the shystiness knew that and took advantage of that. They can't do that now. And and it's not packed with people who I think are going to rubber stamp a a faction. You know what I mean? Even our faction, we're not looking for rubber stamps. We're not looking to to screw anybody over. We're looking to outcompete everybody. You know what I mean? Like and 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 have a fair and honest competition. Right. Um, talk about a little bit about uh, some of the other votes that went on the some of the platform and bylaws stuff. Uh, we didn't get to all of that. We didn't get um, the platform at all. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but uh, I think by there, well, actually, there was there was one thing for a platform that was brought up, um, and it's be- because of the uh, how how big of an issue it is, and that was the abortion plank. Right. And I don't, I actually don't remember the percentages. I think it was also something like sixty forty or something like that, because I know the people who who supported deleting it. Um, they said that they had some people that left and, but the, the point is, is the number, the number of people who are voting and the percentage of people that are voting to delete that, this is something that happens every convention. There's always an attempt to, to delete the abortion plank. However, it seems that the, the, the support base for that is starting to creep upward. Um, and me personally, that's something I support. I, I do think that we should delete that plank, uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, we can get into that if you want, but I, I, I do personally think that, that is something we should delete, even though I don't think it's something that's appropriate for the caucus as an organization to get involved in. Right. And the thinking behind uh, eliminating that plank is, it's as it stands now, it's a pretty standard pro-choice um, uh, plank. And that hurts some of our candidates who, when they appeal to conservative or Republican or, or religious voters, they they say, well, what's, what's your stance on abortion? Oh, look in the platform, you guys are for it. And that, that shuts down the conversation. There's even uh, whole States where it hurts. I mean, Utah right. is, is, oh, yeah. is a pretty conservative state. Kentucky is a pretty conservative state. It's whole States. But my, I mean, more than that, my, my reasoning for it is, is more philosophical than, than, than uh, utilitarian like that. Uh, my, my reasoning for it is because we already have the, the Dallas accord, right? So like we have an agreement within the party that we are neither an anarchist, neither explicitly anyway, an anarchist nor a minarchist party, meaning anarchists and minarchists are welcome. And that is fine. 90% of 95% of the time, you know, well, it doesn't matter if you're an anarchist or a minarchist. There's not too many pro drug war libertarians. There's not too many like pro war or anti gun libertarians. Like it, it just doesn't exist. However, I do think that there is a couple of issues where allowing both creates a spectrum. And abortion is one of those issues. So if you're an anarchist, obviously you're you're politically pro-choice by default, right? However, and that's that's my position. I'm an anarchist. I mean, I might not be morally for abortion. I might not be culturally for abortion. But I don't think that the, the government has a role in it. Now, if you're a minarchist, which we say is welcome, and so you think that the government has a role, a small role to protect life, liberty, property, and contract, I think you've got a logical argument there to, to say that perhaps the pro-life position is, is valid. Um, you don't have to agree with that just to agree that perhaps it is in the umbrella, even if it's not your position. And that's what everybody gets, gets locked in on is, well, my position should be the position. And right. I'm sitting here saying it's not my position, but it should be 
in the umbrella. Um, and, and that's why, because really, it, I, I don't think libertarian philosophy can solve the abortion problem. I don't. Right. I, 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 and the reason I say that is because essentially the, the whole thing is a circular argument about whose property rights trump whose, the, the, the mother or, or the, uh, the, the fetus. And it seems to me that people, even libertarians, they actually don't use libertarian philosophy to, to develop what their final endpoint is. You know what I mean? So, like, so for example, somebody who is more on the pro-choice side might just say, "Well, it's my body; it's my choice." Whereas somebody else would say, "Well, life starts at conception." So it seems to me that we get out of libertarian philosophy and start to turn to our own personal moral value systems. That's that's something outside of the purview of of libertarian philosophy. And like I said, it's basically a a, a, a tautology around whose property right trumps whose. Right. So I, I I don't know that we can solve it. Yeah, I, I think abortion is one of those things that that is the state being involved, like it is with everything, just makes it so much worse. It it prevents um, uh, free market solutions for you know adoption and uh, uh, people's access to birth control and all, all kinds of stuff. And as a pro, I'm pro life myself, but I'm also an ANCAP, so I don't think the government uh, uh, being involved uh, one way or the other is a good thing. Uh, I think it's good if we allow our candidates and our, our members, uh, to negotiate that, uh, the way they want to and, and ultimately let, let voters, uh, decide. So, um, so, but, uh, it didn't pass though, right? The, the plank is still there. Yes. The plank is still there. But, um, if I had to guess it will pass at some point, that's, that seems to be the trend to me. Like, I, I think it's, it's going up. And I personally think it's for the best. I, I think some people use it as a club to keep other people out on purpose. Um, I, I think it prevents the conversation around the issue from being a conversation. Um, and I think our group is a perfect example of this. We don't have abortion mentioned in our platform at all because of the reasons that me and you just, just went back and forth on. And in the, in the event that the issue comes up in the group, it actually is a discussion. Whereas it's, because it's one side is chosen over the other in the platform for the party, it really becomes more like a power struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and people basically treat it like, well, my position's on the, on the platform and yours isn't. So I'm right and you're wrong and screw you. And if you don't like it, get the F out of the party. You know what I mean? Like it's just nasty and, and unnecessary. And, and, and it's not like that in our group. We actually have conversations. And, and I think that's, that is key. I think it helps create community. Once, once the people who are invested in it being their side on the, on the platform, get over it. I think, I think that'll subside. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And, um, I think, uh, I want to talk about what we're going to be doing as a caucus the rest of this year and next year, but, but real quick looking at, um, uh, Reno 2022, which is where the convention is going to be, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times the trend of the demographics of the delegation and how we were about 20 to 25% in 2018. This time we're 33 to 40%. Uh, and one of the things that I, th- I noticed, and I think it's true, is that we tend to be, uh, the Mises Caucus uh, people tend to be uh, younger and a little more um, active. And, and enthusiastic. Um, and, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And so I really see that trend as, you know, as, as some of the older people get older, 
um, and, some of, and we continue to attract more young people, uh, I think we really have a shot to, to get that over 50% and to, to, to be in control of the party and to bring, like, like you said, you've, uh, stayed true to this goal is we want to bring the, all of the libertarian movement or as much of it as we can, we want to bring them, uh, into the party and not have this hostile relationship that, that is there, uh, with some groups. So, and the job, the job that, so getting to that 51% where we can have a real say in the branding and messaging and all that kind of stuff. I think we have a much easier pitch to make now, especially to people who might've been hesitant before. Um, because we're not going from zero to 20 and from 20 to 30. Now we're going from 30, you know, 33, 40 to, you know, so the amount that we need is so much less and we're so much better equipped to do it now than when we were at zero or when we were at 23, we didn't have an automation system before that was automatically giving leads to our organizers at the state level without any effort. Like that wasn't happening before. We didn't have a CRM before, you know, where we could, we could uh, find out detailed information about prospective donors before we call them and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have that before. We didn't have regional organizers that, that act as a, a middleman between uh, Jeff, our state organizer and the state organizers on the ground. So it's not 70 people interfacing with Jeff. It's 70, 70 people interfacing with eight who then interface with Jeff. Like we didn't have that before. We didn't have uh, the applications that we have now for, for, um, or uh, the text program that we have, the mass text program. We didn't have that before. So like the job is so much easier now. So you ask, what do we plan on doing? Um, well, the, the big things for me is number one, first and foremost, fundraising. I'm going to have to push myself out of my comfort zone and start making calls. And we're already well on our way of doing that. I'm, I've, I've already secured some important donor lists. The, can, the candidates who are attached to those donor lists have agreed to help me work these donor lists and they'll vouch for us. Um, so I think that's really big. I've actually just changed my personal life in a big way to, um, to accommodate doing this. I mean, I changed jobs. I was work. I've been working on a law office for over three years now and, now I just got a job where I'm going to be uh, uh, delivering medical marijuana full time, and which means I'm going to be driving. And I could just set it hands free and make calls while I'm driving. That's a big reason why I did that. You know, um, so that's the big thing. Uh, integrating our tools properly, you know, like the CRM. We have the CRM, but we haven't really gotten our hands dirty with it yet. Um, we want to do that. That's a biggie. Uh, getting those donor lists in there, getting our organizers in there. If we get our organizers into the CRM and start getting their hands dirty, getting them trained, they can become, you know, they can become campaign managers. They can become, you know, they can continue to move up the the, the hierarchy of the party and 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 just be that much more versatile. Um, I, I would say tightening up our onboarding, our processes, you know, making sure that we have an application uh, and and re revamping our state organizers handbook. So that our state organizers know exactly what their role is, exactly what uh, they're supposed to be doing, exactly what the time commitments are, exactly what we have available to them to make their job as easy as possible, um, and and just making them be as efficient as they can possibly be. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, the tools, the the onboarding, getting to more events. That's going to come with more money. Uh, tabling more events. We're going to have a table at Mobilize 2020. Uh, we have a table at the Michigan convention this weekend. I believe the I believe the Texas convention is this weekend or next weekend. We're going to have a table there. Um, and the other big thing, and again, this will come with fundraising, is I want to have more in-person events. Right. I think it's really, really important. 
um, for all the reasons that we already discussed. Um, I'll even I'll even tell the plan. Now, I don't know when this is going to happen, but this is this is kind of a pilot idea that I have. But I, I had a dream one night about something called the, the, the Take Human Action Tour. Now, I'm going to throw some names out there. I don't know that they agree, so, you know, take this at the at, at the idea level that it is. Um, but what, what, what the idea was, was we get a room in a college. And so what I'm thinking is, is maybe uh, George, Ma- uh, yeah, George Mason to start because there's a high probability of success at George Mason. But getting a room in a college for half a day, for half a day, and then getting our stars out there to give a half a day of seminars, doing crash courses in their areas of specialty. So how so so how cool would it be to get Tom out to do Tom Woods out to do some kind of um, you know lecture on whatever piece of history that he wants to do, and then Bolden out for Constitution slash nullification, and getting Diced out for a crash course in Austrian economics, and and you know Scott out for a crash course on foreign policy, and then Maj out for a crash course on guns and. You know what I mean? Like it, it would just be so cool, and then we would work with Students for Liberty, Young Americans for Liberty, the Libertarian Party, whatever groups that we can get to come, and then we would table it, you know, and and use it as a, as a recruiting device. So right. stuff like that, yeah. stuff like that to, to to help generate that culture, because that's even if we did get our asses kicked, let's say we got our asses completely kicked, we already saw because of the, at least in my opinion, because of how that party went when Josh just lost and nothing was guaranteed the next day. That's the shit that's going to keep people here no matter what. Even if we get our asses kicked, if we have a solid culture and we're all friends and we're all we're all deriving meaning from this, that's that supersedes everything. Yeah, and that's going to help us uh, with one of our goals uh, of uh, building up our presence in uh state parties, especially those, there were a few big states, I think like Ohio, California, Texas, where we didn't do well in um, because we're not as well organized. And I know I'm in Ohio and it's uh, uh, our presence here is, uh, is almost nothing. And so we're, we're going to, we're trying to build that up so that we can cut into some of those margins uh, in those, in those bigger States. Um, a couple of, uh, just a couple more things. Um, uh, of course we're transitioning now. There's an election in November. We want to support some candidates. And then after that, uh, we want to, uh, do the issues coalitions. How can I forget like that? that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. How can I forget that? That's, that's important. We have a survey. We have a survey now for our, our candidates and, uh, it's, it's new and improved from our survey in 2018. So if you were running for for office at the county level or lower. So like county commissioner, uh, judge, sheriff, city council, mayor, uh, that kind of thing. Please hit us up and, and get this survey from us uh, and fill it out. Uh, and, and we're going to, so why I'm hitting fundraising so hard is because I have a $20,000 goal that I want to hit uh, that we, that we raise and then spend for candidates. So $5,000 max to the Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen campaign and then fifteen thousand dollars to give to a slate of local level candidates, and I think that's um, I think it's very doable. And I mean, even because we're already making like four thousand dollars a month, over four thousand dollars a month, um, we haven't lost that much from COVID, and we haven't fundraised at all this year. Right. So we're gonna be we're gonna be you know announcing our, our gun giveaway and the silver giveaway. We're gonna do that while I'm doing the calls. I'm gonna use that as a device on the calls, and it's all about these candidates. You know what I mean? So that, how could I forget that? Yes, that's that is the next thing is is getting the can, the survey out to the candidates and interviewing them and setting our slate. 
Right. And I think uh, another thing is, uh, I, I know we've bounced around a lot of ideas about issues coalitions um, to, to, to partner with organizations that are not necessarily libertarian uh, overall, but that have a libertarian position on one issue like guns or, or drug legalization or something like that. What do we have anything um, uh, on the horizon that uh, that we may be able to to get on the ballot in the next uh, couple of years? So I would say those two are still the big ones, but obviously with the advent of the of the conversation around Black Lives Matter and stuff like that, uh, the more sample legislation that we can get our hands on related to criminal justice reform, yep. uh, the better, and and we can make moves there. And again, it's the same lesson every time. It has to be. It has to be libertarians that make the move and are the first and we have to be the first ones to go to our our city councils and our county commissioners and all that stuff and do the lobbying and open up the conversations because especially in this environment if it's not us it's going to be somebody else and and they might not have the best ideas and it might not be the best version of reform that gets passed and then once that's already done it's going to be it could be a while before the climate comes again so like we really need to get involved, you know, and, and interface. I mean, I'm not saying we have to support Black Lives Matter as an organization or anything like that, but that does that you don't have to support something to get involved, get in the conversation, get your ideas out, exchange ideas, listen to them, you know, show them that you care and 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 put your your ideas forward. We have to do that stuff if we're gonna have any kind of healthy dialogue between different narratives and different viewpoints. But um yeah, it's absolutely paramount. So I would say it's still Decriminalized nature is still rolling. So psychedelic reform is a big one. Um, the the Second Amendment sanctuary stuff, especially at the county level, that's a big one. Uh, criminal justice reform, uh, that's a big one. You know, and and there's legislation out there. I mean, we can take Rand Paul's Justice for Priyanka Taylor Act and and kind of retrofit it to a local level setting. You know, you you can do that kind of stuff. Just got to be the ones to to strike first. Right. Um, let's, uh, we probably better wrap up. Um, but, uh, why don't you tell people if they are encouraged by what they heard today and, and what they've seen us, uh, do, uh, how can they help and, and how can they get involved? One, one way is by going to takehumanaction.com. We got our website back up. It's been a, and uh, it's not going back yeah. down. It is yeah. not going back down. We, we got that shit straightened out. Thank yeah. God. We had a, a, a really bad experience with a, a web developer. And uh, finally, that's all, all fixed now. So what else, uh, what can people do and see when they get there? And, and what are some other ways to connect with the, the Mises Caucus? So takehumanaction.com is just a one-stop shop for the most important functions that we offer. You know, join the email list. Uh, and if you're so inclined, like become a recurring donor, even for five bucks a month to Mises Pack, uh, help us get back to that $5,000 level and above. You know, I mean, the more money that we make, the more events we can put on, the more money we can give to more candidates, the more we can advertise on Facebook and reach more people and, and bring them into the party. And the more people we bring into the party, the more that we can affect the messaging and the branding of the party, the more delegates we can bring in. And, you know, there's just nobody doing this kind of full spectrum thing that we're doing and, and really turning, growing growing the party into a business. And that's what is going to have to happen if we want to make this a, a, the machine that it needs to be. So <clears throat> that's that's the vision. So join the email list, keep up with what we're doing, but then also go to the Meet the Team page. Find your organizers in your state. Join your state Libertarian Party. Start attending your city council meetings. Start attending your county-level Libertarian meetings. 
get involved and and find those pain points those those pain points where we can affect an issue coalition because because that's where the the juice all is you know i mean you can decriminalize so when i decriminalize weed here in my town i effectively nullified the federal government in my town and i did it by going to like three or four city council meetings and introducing myself that is massively easier than getting elected as a federal official and, and changing the feds you know like we can we can do these things it's just we have to we have to take it seriously. We have to connect. We have to believe in each other and we have to strike first. Great. Um, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know uh, you probably, are you fully recovered from the, the convention now? Oh man, I didn't have to recover that. I mean, that was all, I mean, dude, I'm telling you, I was not feeling it. I thought it was going to be awful. I thought I was going to come back and be like, I need a week. This is all awful. And no, I, I hit the ground running. That's how we got the website done. I got, I mean, I've, I've recruited an organizer in Utah today. I recruited two organizers in Texas yesterday. Uh, I mean, we've been working on the, the organizer's handbook. I got caught up on getting all these new emails in our system that were languishing because of the website problem. I mean, we're, no, I hit the ground running. I feel absolutely energized. Yeah. You're, uh, I think being younger, uh, uh, really helps. Uh, you're the hardest working man on our board. Uh, and, and we all appreciate that. And we, uh, appreciate you coming on today. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Take you in action. There you have it. I'd like to thank Michael Heiss for his time and all his hard work leading up to and during the convention. I'd also like to thank Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on decentralized revolution. And I'd like to thank everyone who gives to Mises Pack at TakeHumanAction.com and everyone who shares, rates, reviews, and subscribes to Decentralized Revolution. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.